We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are back, IB Nation. Welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Tuesday. We got recruiting in the rearview mirror. We've got uh, to focus on kind of what's coming up for Notre Dame. The Irish bounce back from a disappointing loss to Stanford with a convincing, albeit sometimes ugly, but convincing win over UNLV. The complaint from the Notre Dame UNLV game was you didn't score enough. You missed opportunities for it to be an even bigger blowout. That's definitely a place you'd rather be than where they were against Marshall. And, Ryan, I want to kind of say something about this because the next five weeks presents Notre Dame with a, a huge opportunity. And this season has been very disappointing. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This has been a very disappointing season for Notre Dame. This team should have been much better than they are. There's no excuses, no backup quarterback this, all this other stuff, right? TCU's playing with their backup quarterback technically. You know, Max Dugan got beat out in the in the, the offseason by Chandler Morris, and, and so he had came off the bench. But we're, we're seeing teams go out there with backups, missing this guy, missing that guy, and winning football games. And Notre Dame should be better than they are, plain and simple. As sour of a taste as we have about that, the next five weeks present an opportunity to either A, add to that negative feeling, or B, to ch- change it. And so what we see over the next five weeks is Notre Dame gets a chance to play right now three teams that are currently ranked in the top 20. Syracuse mm-hmm. being the lowest-ranked team this upcoming weekend at number 16. They're only 16 because they lost on the road to Clemson by six this past weekend, 27-21, a game they led almost the entire game outplayed Clemson in a lot of different ways, just couldn't put the game away late. So they fell from, they fell only two spots. I think they were 14 going into the week. They only fell two spots to Clemson, who's number five. Then of course, Notre Dame plays Clemson the next week and and who's currently number five. And Clemson will most likely stay at number five unless they move up if there's an upset because they have a bye week this week. So at worst, they're going to maybe drop a spot if somebody behind them blows somebody out, you know, but or, or they could potentially move up a little bit. And then, of course, they end the season with USC, who currently is ranked 10th 
USC is coming off of a bye week. They, their schedule, they've got win very winnable games coming up these next two weeks before their back-to-back stretch against UCLA and Notre Dame. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried Trade Coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee, and I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about Trade Coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection, the rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee, the full flavor of the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash Irish. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. So, Ryan, this isn't a statement of, gee, I'm predicting Notre Dame to win out because I don't have a freaking clue what this Notre Dame team is going to be from week to week, so I couldn't possibly predict that. But I, we are going to discuss the fact that there can be no debating that there is a huge opportunity in front of them over the next five weeks, and it starts on Saturday against Syracuse against what has been a really quality football team, but also a team that there's no doubt about it, Notre Dame should be able to beat. Will they? No idea. Can they? Should they? Absolutely. And it would be one of those, it would be the first step towards really three steps, uh, four steps, right? It's beat Syracuse, beat Clemson, handle your business against bad teams, and beat USC, right? Four steps to them kind of salvaging the season. Because as we've said before, you go back and look at USC back in 2016, USC after the first month of the season was not a very good football team. 
USC by mm-hmm. the end of the year could play with anybody. Nine and three record, right? And we remember that team. We don't remember that team for the loss to Bama and Utah and Stanford. We remember that team for what they did down the stretch, beating a playoff team in Washington on the road by two touchdowns late in the season, uh, going out and, and, and smacking Notre Dame at the end of the year, beating Penn State in one of the more entertaining Rose Bowls ever. That's what we remember. And it's the same thing as here with this Notre Dame team is we're going we're gonna to be able to look back and say, hey, this is the moment that they turn things around or not, right? I mean, those, no. those are the two options. And Syracuse here at number 16 has a great opportunity to be a first step to that because it is a ranked opponent. It would give Notre Dame a second win over a ranked opponent if they could do it. And as I said, this is a, a beatable, a winnable, very winnable game. UNLV to me, Ryan, the thing mm-hmm. that we have missed, in my opinion, in our frustration, because I'm frustrated with that game. They should have hung a 60 spot on UNLV. UNLV is not worse than Marshall, in my opinion. No, they're not. They're now, not. Jacob Brunfield not playing. They're a different kind of team. Marshall's better on defense. UNLV's better on offense. But they didn't play well, but they put UNLV away early, which is exactly what they should have done, but didn't do against Marshall. So even as disappointing as it was, it was clear growth from where they were early. Now, we're still waiting on them to take that final step to start playing like the team they're capable of and start racking up some W's against some quality opponents. And Syracuse is going to be that first chance to do that. Well, I mean, Brian, we, we talked about whether it was the North Carolina defense or it is UNLV or whatever it is, you know, what BYU ends up looking like now comparative to what Notre Dame thought they were going into that football game is we've kind of have put those games on the back burner and said, okay, well, let's see it against a good team, right? Against a good opponent in a big game. And although Clemson and USC are going to be bigger games, Syracuse is a great indicator, man. If there has been legitimate growth, if there has and how much legitimate growth there has been at certain spots, because this is a team that we just saw. I know that we have been, you know, in the preseason and kind of throughout the season, I don't think this is the best Clemson team we've seen in the last couple of years, right? Like they're not a great, it's not a great Clemson team, but regardless, Syracuse took them down to the wire and they were winning for the majority of that football game, right? So when you look at it, this Syracuse team's tough. They're ready to play and they're not going to just come in and be gun shy against a more talented Notre Dame team. Like they're going to come in to, to beat Notre Dame and especially with Notre Dame going to Syracuse to play this football game. Syracuse is going to be jacked up. They're a good football team. Top 20 in the country, like you said, sitting there at number 16. Only loss is the number five team in the country. It's a good Syracuse team, and this is a great test for Notre Dame because they, Syracuse is not going to roll over, man. This is not what we thought this game could be. Like, man, I thought, I think we both kind of thought Syracuse would be an improved team compared to what they were last year, but nobody thought that they would be sitting here, you know, with only one loss at this point in the season. So it's a great test, great start to the gauntlet because if Notre Dame is going to change a narrative of sorts going down the stretch. This is the first step, man, because, again, there's a couple big games moving forward, but this is the first in a three three set ga- three sets of games that are going to show just how much growth this team has had because the moral victories are out the door, man. Losing a close game to a top whatever team, top 10, top 20 team, like those things are out, done with, right? Like they're, they're nothing that right. we want to kind of concern ourselves with anymore. If Notre Dame is really taking steps forward, they're going to come out and they're going to be decisive against this team and they're going to be ready to play because I know that Syracuse is going to be ready to play Notre Dame this weekend. 
Oh, there's no doubt that Syracuse is going to come to play on Saturday, Ryan. I mean, zero doubt. Anyone that thinks Syracuse is going to come out this weekend and like not be ready for this game is is. I mean, I don't actually. I'm not going to say anyone that thinks that because I literally don't know of anyone that thinks that. I like. I know of no one that thinks that they're not going to be ready to play. I know. I'm sure that no one in the Goog or no one in the Goog better not feel this way, and I don't think that they do. I think they know the opportunity that's in front of them. I think they know what 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 awaits them, and they know what Syracuse is going to bring because this is this has been a Syracuse team that, for the most part, has won ugly this season. You know, they benefited from Devin Leary being out in an ugly but convincing win over NC State. They won ugly against Purdue. They won ugly against Virginia. But you know what? I'll take an ugly win over any other kind of loss any day of the week. And that's what this team does. They know how to win because they're well coached this year. They're schemed up really well on both sides of the ball, and they play hard. And they got this little salt-off nose guard that we're going to talk about, Kevin Darton. And this kid's like 5'11", 266. And I'm just watching him whoop center after center week after week with just quickness and effort and leverage. And and that's who this Syracuse team is. Like, he, to me, is the epitome of who this Syracuse team is, right? Just he sums up this team. They're not the most talented team. They're not the biggest team, the strongest team, the fastest team. But they are tough. They play hard. And, and they're athletic to a degree. They're not, like, super athletic, but they have some athleticism in spots. And they they are going to maximize their ability as a football team. And as we saw on Saturday against Clemson, they're they if they weren't afraid of Clemson at Clemson, they're not going to be afraid of Notre Dame in the Carrier Dome. They're just not. So if Notre Dame's going to win this game, they're going to have to earn this win. It's not going to be a hangover game for Syracuse. It's not going to be anything like that. They're going to have to earn this win. And and again, it's just that opportunity where this is a chance for Coach Freeman to kind of show. Okay, yeah, we may have hit some bumps in the road early in my tenure. I'm not happy about it, but I was able to identify what the issues were and fix them. And that's going to be a big part of it. And as we kind of get into the week, we'll talk about which parts of the team have to play well. This is a big, big game for for, for Tommy Reese. You know, as I I called you before the show and I was like, dude, if Tommy Reese can just, you know, get his head straight and and do what he needs to do with his football team and, and, Stop all the the other nonsense, right? Just get your best players out there, use them correctly, and and call the scheme this thing up and call this game the way you're capable of. This is a defense that can be moved on, right? This is a defense that doesn't match up great against Notre Dame, uh, at least on paper. Now, can Notre Dame take advantage of those matchups? That's a whole different question, whole different question. But it's one where it's there for the taking. Will they do it? I don't know. And that's the big question mark. And, and people need to understand the difference of what we're talking about here. There's a difference between talking about what Notre Dame is capable of and what Notre Dame will do. For example, I wrote the article at Irish Breakdown yesterday talking about how if Notre Dame runs the tables, simply talking about what's in front of them and what that would mean, people say, well, they're not capable of running the table. Well, they're certainly capable of running the table. If they play every week like they did against North Carolina, they'll beat all five teams in the le- that are left on their schedule. And maybe one of them would be close. Right. Like they're capable of it, what they're capable of and what they will do to different things. They were capable of beating Stanford by 30. They didn't. They lost. They were capable of beating Marshall by 17 to 21 points. At least they were capable of it, but they didn't. They lost. Right. And that's the thing. They were capable of, you know, scoring more than 10 points against Ohio State. They didn't that they lost. Right. And so that's the question mark is, will they will they will that will there be a time this season, Ryan? And this is the great unknown about this team. 
will there be a time this season where the light switches on or not? Mm -hmm. We don't know the answer to that. But the opportunity is there because the one thing, the reason that, that I think this is important to discuss is because the one thing you cannot dismiss about this Notre Dame football team, and it drives me flipping nuts, they 100% play emotionally and schematically and technically to the level of their competition. Yes. They've played down to inferior opponents, and they've played up to superior opponents. Their two best games this year were against the two best teams that they've played against Ohio State and North Carolina. And if they can play like that on a consistent basis, they will they will beat a lot of teams. I mean, if, if they simply play like they did against BYU, they'll go three and two, right? And they didn't play great against BYU. If they play like they against North Carolina, they can run the table. But that's the thing is we don't know what we're going to get from Notre Dame week after week after week. And at some point in time, that light's going to go on. Is it this season? Is it next season? I don't know the answer to that. But that's the that's the that is what in front of in front of Mark, Fre Mark Freeman. And it's something that if you end the season that way, all the momentum you lost, all the positive vibes you lost through the first seven games are back. And mm -hmm. that's the opportunity that awaits this team. And I was somewhat encouraged by the UNLV game in that a couple players and positions that I was concerned had checked out after Stanford, played really well. So yep. it gives me a glimmer of hope that this team realizes what's in front of it. And here's the thing. Here's a selling point for Marcus Freeman to some of the veterans. Hey, bro, when NFL scouts watch your scene, watch your film this season, what games do you think they're going to watch the most? And probably Ohio State, North Carolina, Syracuse, Clemson, and USC. Mm -hmm. So mo most of the games that teams are going to watch of you are on your schedule coming up. What are you going to yep. show them? That's my, that's why I mean, I'd flat out say that to him. You got to give him something to play for. There's no conference championship. There's no playoff. You, know, you can't really talk about New Year's Six Bowls. You're four and six. You didn't receive a single vote last week in the top 25, nor should you have, by the way. You got to give him something to play for, Ryan. So that's kind of my long rant on that is this is where we're going to find out the ability of the leadership of this football team and the coach on this football team to motivate these players and give them something to play for because they have a chance to leave their mark on this program and they have a chance to leave their mark on Marcus Freeman's tenure. But what's that mm -hmm. mark going to be? They're going to leave a mark, Ryan. It's just we don't know what kind of mark it's going to be. Yeah, I, it, that's a great point, man. I, I would say this, especially for the scouting side of things there. for the, I mean, they call these money games, Brian. Like this is the game where mm -hmm. you make yourself some money. Like these are one of those. Because to your point, you want to watch the best teams that Notre Dame plays on their schedule when you're kind of breaking them down and – Syracuse will probably end up being one of those, right? And I think even think of like, hey, Isaiah Foskey just had what three sacks against UNLV, like nice number, right? Well, this week, and I know we're not going too de in depth of, on Syracuse right now, but he's going to be playing a offensive tackle, Matthew Bergeron, who's going to get drafted pretty high, man. So this is the matchup that a lot of scouts want to see from an individual to individual perspective. And then after that, I mean, Brian, like that's one of my biggest thing that we've talked about so much is the fact that like I feel like I didn't adequately adjust my thoughts to like how much of an adjustment Marcus Freeman would have as a first year head coach, you know, like the mistakes that you make, the adjustments that you need to make along a stretch of a season, that type of stuff. I mean, I, I feel like I, I missed the boat on some no, of that to a no, degree. But no, because no. Oregon is the exact reason why you say, no, you didn't miss the boat. They didn't do what they were capable of. I mean, you mm. can't say, well, 36-year-old defensive coordinator, never been a head coach, 
you know, they're going to make mistakes. Well, then then what's the excuse with Oregon, right? I mean, they, they got a transfer quarterback, a guy that you thought wasn't very good and wasn't coming into the season. I mean, this is a kid who couldn't win big games. This is a kid who just had these colossal flops, right? They have, like, one of their top running backs is a grad, is a, not even a, a transfer from Oregon. Like, two of their top four pass catchers are true sophomores. I mean, they lost a, a lot of talent off last year's team too, right? I mean, so you can't say – well, I misjudged the adjustment it would take because there's another team with a very similar situation that is doing what they needed to do. You can't anticipate. Well, I don't think the I think the offensive coordinator is going to do a crap job the first seven games, right? I don't I don't think yeah. you can anticipate that. I don't think they're I think all their best players are going to regress this year. And you can't project that, predict that. So I'm fine saying that I'm wrong about stuff. And I'm and I would hope that you would always do so too. I was wrong about Tommy Reese, flat out. 100% mm-hmm. dead wrong on the job I thought he would do. But I'm I'm going to push back on that one because I don't think because I think what you're doing is you're you're taking the blame for something that wasn't something you should have assumed in my opinion. You shouldn't have assumed that a coach that was here and the difference is Dan Lanning wasn't even at Oregon last year. He didn't even yeah. know the person as well. They got embarrassed in the opener against Georgia. Embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And that team immediately bounced back. Right. So clearly they knew what buttons to push. So I don't think you can just say, oh, first year coach, look what Mike Elko is doing at Duke. Yeah. Right. I mean, so for every Mar- Marcus Freeman and even worse, Mario Cristobal and Brent Venables, there's a Dan Lanning, there's a Mike Elko who are very similar situations that have, to me, overachieved with their football teams this season. So I think this is more about they didn't handle their business than mm-hmm. people assuming wrongly that, you know, or, or, or missing the boat on what was there, what we should have assumed that these things would have happened because there are similar instances where those things didn't happen. So why did they happen there and here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, why didn't Syracuse, why didn't Oregon have the same issue? Oregon's offensive coordinator is not that much older than Tommy Reese. No. He hasn't been calling plays that much longer than Tommy Reese, right? So... I understand where you're coming from, and I appreciate your willingness to admit that you are wrong, but I don't think you were in this instance. I don't think the problem wasn't our expectations. The problem is they haven't done a very good job in instances where coaches in similar situations. I mean, do you really want to – does somebody want to tell me that Mike Elko walked into a better situation than Marcus Freeman? <laughs> does anybody really want to tell me that, That's, that Oregon's roster top to bottom is just mm-hmm. this great roster top to bottom? No. 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 Can't do that. So I I appreciate your willingness to do that, Ryan. But I'm not going to let you fall on your sword this time. This wasn't a <laughs> <Okay>. you problem. <laughs> it was a them problem. It wasn't a me problem. It was a them I'll problem. Take it, man. I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. Yeah. One one thing one thing I am looking forward to seeing though, Brian, is not only just from the coaching staff perspective on how you rebound and how you kind of continue to get through this adversity. I also want to see who the leaders are on this football team, man. Like, I, I feel like I've talked about this in nauseam every single podcast that we've done, but it's true for me. Like, I just, I, there's a lack of juice in a lot of areas. I'm still waiting to see who are the de facto leaders of this program. And not even only for 2022, but it doesn't have to be a captain. Like, I don't need to see Isaiah Foskey necessarily be this guy, right? Like, I need to see some guys, though, that take ownership and, withstand the adversity to go to where you need to go, right? So whether that is a freshman, sophomore, up to a senior, I don't care who it is. I just want whoever it is on this football team to show their face, 
down the stretch here, right? Going against a Syracuse, going against a Clemson, going against a USC. Who are the guys that are going to stand up with their chest puffed out, even though you're four and three right now, and say, doesn't matter what we've done until until up until now, today it's different. Moving forward, it's different. Who are those guys? Because I don't know who those guys are, but that's what I'm most looking forward to is I want to just kind of sit back and watch who brings the juice, who comes to play in a big moment, who comes to play in a big game, who's going to be that difference maker when the lights are the brightest. And I think that's what Notre Dame has the opportunity to down the stretch here, right? You have three games that are going to be paramount and important games and are going to be high-profile real games where you can look at and say, in those big moments, who are going to be the players that are going to stand up and say, I'm big enough for this moment. I am better than the person across from me. That's what I want to see is who, which players are ready to hit that adversity and keep going forward. Cause I'm not sure who those guys are, but the, the next level leaders on this team, I think will show themselves on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And that's, that's, what's going to be fun about it. Right. Hopefully at least anyway, fun, but that's going to be the big question mark. And that's how they can present themselves. So that's what that what that's what awaits them. Look, if you can't get fired up for this kind of game, then you know there's much bigger problems. And it's not just coaching; it's players. I mean, look, there comes a point in time where I don't care what your coaches are saying or doing. You've got an opportunity on national television against a ranked opponent to go out and and show something. And you know, we we've heard for years about Notre Dame players. Hey, we didn't care about the coaches. This is about us. Well, they need to they need to tap back into that mantra, Ryan. And that's something I'm looking forward to seeing. Now, the team that they're doing that against is a good football team. This is a good Syracuse football team. It is not a team, to me, that is a world beater. It is not a team, to me, honestly, it's not as dangerous of a team as the one they played in 2018. But it's a completely different type of football team. That was a high-octane scoring team that had really good ends and a good secondary. Pass more. It was a passing-oriented team with Eric Dungy. Eric Dungy was probably the biggest running threat on that football team. This team is more of a run-the-football type of team. Their quarterback is a good runner, but Sean Tucker's a good runner. Their young freshman running back who doesn't play a ton is averaging almost nine yards a carry. But this is a team built around playing physical, tough defense. Now, the one thing that's similar is the secondary. Syracuse has strangely been producing really good secondaries for most of the last decade especially the last half of the last decade. You know, that 2018 team had like Andre Sisco. They had a really quality secondary. This secondary is is arguably the best on their name schedule, arguably. And, and the thing is, is their best player hasn't even been playing great so far this year. And Garrett Williams, it's other guys that have stepped up and played well. The, the Rutgers transfers had a really good season so far. So this Lunch is Clark. a quality football. Yep. yep. This, is a, this is a quality football team, Ryan, that is certainly beatable but you're going to have to earn it. They're going to make you earn it. And that's the thing I like about this Syracuse football team. Mentally tough, man. And it's, it's, it's a interesting one too, Brian, because I mean, for me, you watch this Syracuse team, you're just kind of like they came off of a rough season over the last couple of years. I mean, they've been down for a little bit. And I mean, there was a lot of people that were talking before the season, like is their coach on the, on the hot seat, you know, like is Dino Babers a guy that if it has another down year is, is out of the door. And, you, and and he was. Of, yeah. <laughs> he was on the hot seat to a degree, yeah. Brian, when you have that type of situation, teams just pack it in, man. Like, that, this could have been, like, one of those lame duck situations where you're, like, halfway through the year, like, oh, Dino's out. Like, that could have been the situation right. that you're in. But this I got to get myself ready for I'm transferring to or who the next coach is going to be exactly. or whatever the case may be. Yep. Exactly. Especially with so many of these kids because, 
I mean, Garrett Williams is probably going to be in the 2023 NFL draft. Sean Tucker is probably going to be in the 2023 NFL draft. Their best players are draft eligible players. So especially in that situation where they only are guaranteed to be here probably for this season, a lot of those kids could have just been like, oh, I'm just going to look out for myself. You know, it doesn't really matter about, you know, Coach Babers or the program. But you can tell just the toughness that Coach Babers and the coaching staff this season has instilled in this team, Brian, because, I mean – Sean Tucker is very talented. Garrett Williams is very talented. There's talented players, but the things that make this team different and then have taken them to the next step this year is that they are playing about to the highest level as far as efforts this year, right? The the effort they give on a snap-to-snap basis, even from the players that aren't as physically talented, this team will punch you in the mouth, man, and they'll keep Mm -hmm. coming every single snap. So hats off to Coach Babers in a tough situation coming into the year and this coaching staff, he has instilled a toughness and a physicality into a team that in certain spots is not really that talented, right? Like they're not. And they've just played hard every single week. And I mean, even last week where they fall short to Clemson, like, I mean, they came out early in that game and they punched them in the mouth, right? Like they did a team that's much more talented than them. So this is a team that's going to test you for four quarters. They're going to punch you. And when you punch them back, they're going to punch you again. Like that's this is one of those football teams. At the end of the day, Notre Dame has to be prepared, both from a coaching perspective, from a player perspective, and they have to be willing to match blow for blow with this type of team because this team is not going to go away, man. This is not a one 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 punch and done type of fight. This team is going to keep call, coming back, keep crawling back, keep punching. This is that type of resilient team. So I don't know what the the recipe was for the turnaround in the offseason. But whatever the Syracuse coaching staff did, they have exuded toughness into this program that I don't think was there the last couple of years. Uh, There's no question. Mental toughness, physical toughness, all of it, Ryan. I mean, their Mm -hmm. offense last year had some physicality to it. They were a pretty good running team, but they couldn't throw the ball at all. Went out and made a great hire this offseason. Brendan Armstrong went looking like from a stud to mediocre what was the big change? Offensive coaching and sit scheme. The guy that made him look like a stud last year is now the 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 offensive coordinator, Robert and I at at uh, Syracuse. Now all of a sudden, Garrett Schrader last year couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Started twelve games, uh, actually started ten games, but played in all, in tw- all twelve. Ab- passed for just over fourteen hundred yards last year, and was more of a running. Mean, he was a runner he was an old school quarterback he was an old school running quarterback now he comes out this year and all of a sudden the kid knows how to throw the football and he looks like the top 300 player that he was coming out of high school he's already in seven starts has already surpassed his numbers last year in passing yards and touchdowns and his passer rating has jumped up from 113.7 to 164.82 a perfect example of why a guy's production doesn't always equal he doesn't have talent sometimes guys have talent they're not being coached or put in a good position Okay, because this is the same football team as was last year. They didn't get a mess of transfers this offseason. The only transfer that I can think of that's really making much of a difference, like a big difference, is the safety that we talked about who transferred over from Rutgers. Yep. Most of the guys making an impact on this football team are dudes that were already here. They're mm-hmm. just being coached up better and now put, being put, put in the same position. The really dynamic offense that Virginia had last year, everybody's back and they stink. <laughs> What's yep. changed? Coaching, coaching, yes. that's what's changed. And that's what I like about this football team. You know, there's their defensive coordinators now in year three. They're, they've 
They started showing this last year, Ryan. Look, they had two defensive players, Garrett Williams and Michael Jones, that were on our – well, one of our – well, Garrett Williams on both of ours. I had Michael mm-hmm. Jones on my preseason all-opponent team, right? So mm-hmm. Matthew Bergeron, the left tackle, was also on our preseason all-opponent team, and Sean Tucker was in that conversation. And if it wasn't for Travion Henderson at Ohio State, would have been on it. And he's out playing Travion Henderson this season. Yep. So – this is a team that does have some talent, but top to bottom, it's just not the kind of roster that you should that Notre Dame shouldn't be able to beat. Now, again, whether they will or won't, that's a whole different conversation. So back to Syracuse, Ryan. Let's get, talk about just kind of we're going to intro the intro them a little bit. First of all, Syracuse is six and one, as everybody knows. They're ranked 16th in the country. They started their season with six straight wins, beat Louisville at home 31 to 7 had their first true road game of the season against UConn, won 48-14, then had three, four straight home wins. They beat Purdue 32-29 to in a game that I believe was like 9-6 to going into the fourth quarter, ended up being 32-29. Great back-and-forth fourth-quarter game there between those two teams. Then they won an ugly game against Virginia, 22-20. I believe Virginia missed a field goal late in that game with a chance to win it, I believe. Uh, or maybe maybe Syracuse hit a field goal late. I can't remember which which way that that direction went. Uh, then you go next to Wagner, who was maybe fifty nine to nothing. We'll talk a little bit about Wagner again. Played NC State at home, who they beat twenty four to nine. Now that the asterisk there is NC State is a completely different football team without Devin Leary. They didn't have Devin Leary in that game, but they still scored twenty four points on a, what has been a pretty game NC State defense this season. And then, of course, last week jumped up. Was it 21-10 at one point in time against Clemson? Couldn't put him away. Missed some opportunities on short fields after turnovers to really put Clemson away. Couldn't do it. And Clemson uh, battled back and came back and won that game. So they're 6-1. Their only loss being a road loss by six points to the number five team in the country. So this is a quality football team. Uh, but, um, you know, and and, and I've had some friends say, well, they're winning with smoke and mirrors. I'm like, I don't really think so. Like, They've earned their wins. They they weren't fluky wins. You know, they 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 had to make some plays in those wins to 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 come out on top. So I, th- I think they're a, a quality football team. Let's take a look, Ryan, at where they stand statistically. So this mm-hmm. is sort of a first glance look at Syracuse. You'll see their ranks here. Offensively, they're a, a middle of the road ACC team for the most part. Which again, ACC is an offensive oriented conference for the most part. So fifth in points per game. Ninth in yards per game, third in yards per play. That's a very interesting number right there, Ryan. You don't often see that kind of gap in yards. Sixth in rushing yards, fifth in yards per rush, seventh in passing yards, but they're third in passing yards per attempt and third in passer rating because they don't throw it a ton. They don't run a lot of plays on offense. That's the thing. Uh, you know, and and I mean, Ryan, if you have an, some some ideas as to why, I think part of it is they kind of play a bit of a ball control type of look. They're not a team that really pushes the tempo. I think that that's part of it uh, as well. I think that that you look at their third down offense is middle of the road, sixth in the conference. Their red zone defense, red zone touchdown rate on offense is fifth in the conference, and they're fourth in the conference and fewest turnovers. So solid offense, but nothing nothing that knocks your socks off because that's not how Clemson's won this year, right? I mean, uh, Syracuse has won. Again, they beat Purdue by scoring 32 points, but they had three po- nine points going into the fourth quarter. They beat Virginia by – and only scored 22 points, only scored 24 points in a win over North NC State. The only, I mean, the, the only game where they've scored over 31 points in a win was against a really bad UConn team and an FCS team. 
that's it. So they're not a high-octane offense. Their 33.9 points per game is also misleading in that it just, I mean, they scored 59 points against Wagner. You know, I mean, so that's gonna that's gonna kind of take a, take away from it. I mean, if you just if you just look at it from a you, know, you take Wagner out, they drop down to 29.7, which still mm-hmm. ranks them fifth in the in the league in the conference. If you look at it only against what teams have done against FCS opponents or FBS opponents, but that certainly you know, certainly plays a role in in what who they are. It's this yeah. number of it's over here, Ryan. Though is what makes mm-hmm. this football team. But before we move on, you want to say something about the offense? Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Brian, I mean, that's the only thing I can really come up with is that this team is just a run-oriented kind of ball control type of team. Because, I mean, when you look at the stats here on both sides of the football, I mean, they're not giving up a ton of yards, but they're not really, you know, they're not piling up yardage either, despite having a pretty good yards per play average, to your point, right? So I think that we're looking at a team that knows their identity. You know, they have a pretty good offensive line. They have a really good running back, and they have a quarterback that is kind of a dual-threat kid that, can also hurt you with his legs as well. So I guess that's the only re- reason I can really, really come up with, man, is that they just – that's their style, you know, and I think that they're, they're true efficient. to that, which yeah. very different, though, than what – I mean, to your point, though, earlier, I mean, I was at the 2018 game with Syracuse when they played against Notre Dame, and that was a very high-octane, like, we're going to throw the ball around the yard type of look, right? Like, that's what Coach Babers – had typically done during his course of his career as an offensive play caller. And then this year, I know he's not calling plays, but just a very different fundamental team offensively than what we've seen in the past with Coach Babers, which is kind of interesting just to kind of look at. Ryan, def- de- defensively, I think that's a that's been a really interesting part of this football team for me. It is look, and and look, here's the thing. So again, I'm I'm about proper context and and I think that I don't I don't like looking at FB, FCS teams and their ranking of 15.1 is, is in their, their yards per, per game averages are aided by the fact that they played Wagner. Uh, what was it? 50 yards. I think they held Wagner to 50 total yards of offense. If I remember correctly in that game, I'm going to just look it up. That's, here real quick. That's, that's gross, man. Yeah. That's they held gross. Wagner to 31 rushing yards and 19 passing yards. That was their total. They had 38 plays for 50 yards. So you take that out because Wagner's not only an FCS team, they're a really bad FCS team. And and so didn't really like that they played that. But if you if you only look at what they've done against FBS opponents, right, they still rank first in the conference in scoring defense. Mm-hmm. In, in you know, if you just look at FBS teams and they're 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 only they're second in the conference in yards per game behind only Clemson. And they're only 7.1 or 9.1 yards behind Clemson against FBS only opponents. So you can look at the stats that way. And then yards per play, it's the same thing, Ryan. They are third in the conference of 5.1. Clemson leads the conference at 4.9. And, and Virginia's also at 4.9. Clemson's at 4.88. Virginia's at 4.92. And then Syracuse is right there at number three at 5.06, tied with Florida State actually for third. So Still good, but not quite as good when you take out the Wagner game. So, you know, they're about 330 plus, 335 yards per game on total offense. They're at 5.1 yards per play against FBS only teams. And, you know, so you, you start to look at those numbers and, and you look at the context. Again, still good. Don't get me wrong. Still good. But it's not quite as dominant when you when you look at what they've done against people not named Wagner. So, like rushing yards. You know they they go from fourth to sixth 
in the conference if you look at rushing yards against uh, FBS-only opponents. Uh, same thing is true if you look at, sort of at their pass defense uh, against FBS-only opponents right now. Uh, I believe when you look at their right now pass yards, their first, they would drop down to second in passing yards. Now, again, only 4.5 behind Syracuse. But again, it's you know they're second in yards per attempt in that in that situation, and they're third in rating. So some categories where they're first, second, they drop down a spot or two. Quarterback rating, they stay the same. The point is, yes, it alters the numbers a little bit, but it doesn't change the story because the right. story is they're still really good, really good ACC. I mean, to me, the second best defense in the ACC. And I'll say this: they're not as good as Clemson because they're not as dominant up front. But I will say this, mm -hmm. they're the most balanced defense in the ACC because they're good yeah. at all three spots. Clemson's just elite on the defensive line, and Syracuse isn't elite anywhere. right? They're just pretty good at a lot of different places. I would say they're the most balanced front to back all three levels defense in the in the ACC, Ryan. Do you agree or disagree with that, with that thought? No, I, I agree with it because I think what, what Syracuse has is they have a couple – versatile good players on the second level they have a couple really good players in the secondary and as a whole that secondary has just been been good overall and then up front you have kind of what we let off with right like they have these kids that might not be as talented as some of their other back seven are but it's from a individual to individual case but play really hard man and they play a lot bigger than their size and they're able to hold up despite not being the biggest defensive line that you are going to see in the ACC or just across FBS. I mean, there's some FCS teams that have bigger defensive lines than Syracuse does, if we're being completely honest. But it is something where they play incredibly hard up front. They are have a couple really nice players on the second level that are really good college football players. And the secondary, they have probably two to three guys that are probably going to play NFL football down the line, right? So when you're talking about front to back, Ryan, I agree completely because in the worst spot, technically, right, up front – Syracuse still has guys that make plays, man, and do their job, and that, that is something that can't be can't be quantified enough at, at times, right? Like this isn't a team that is right. really good in the secondary, pretty good on the second level, and then just bad in the front. Like they play up to the up to the other two levels of their defense up front, and they do that based upon effort. So I agree with you. I think that there's a good mixture of talent in certain spots, but also a lot of effort in others, and I think that they play up to a standard, which is what you've been seeing this year. There's also been a level of consistency with his defense this year, Ryan. I mean, if you take away if you take away the the Wagner game, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a single game where I'm like, wow, that was man, that was dominant. You know, like they just completely overwhelmed that team, like we've seen from some Notre Dame teams. I mean, they they've given up six point two, four point four, six point three, four point three, three point seven, and five point three. Uh, yards per game or yards per play against opponents this season. And that's good, right? That's definitely good. And anytime you're holding a team under five yards per play, you're you're doing a nice job. You know, but but then you look at it and you're like, you know, like look at like Notre Dame last year and you look at some of the games they had, you know, that it's very similar to way the, to me, they're very similar to the way Notre Dame was down the stretch last year where Notre Dame never had any like wow, just light you up type of performances, but they were just really steadily good week after week after week. On defense, and that's what I like about this team is they're 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 not their overall stats are not 
their overall stats are not like padded by any like because that's why I want to take out the Wagner game because I think that's always sort of the thing that people can look at and say, well, they played this team and they beat them fifty nine to nothing, et cetera, et cetera. That's why I wanted to take out the Wagner game and give this their stats in, in context to not having the Wagner game in it, which is still pretty good. Like first in points, second in yards, I think third in yards per play. Those are all still really good numbers, right? But the thing I like about it, Ryan, is there's no other game against an FBS team where they just played lights out, held that team to 205 yards, and that padded their stats. There isn't that type of performance from this team. Like kind of like where, you know, Notre Dame last year, you know, had that four-game stretch, you know, where they they were more, I said there was a consistency where there were no lights out performances, but during that stretch, Notre Dame held opponents to 184, 278, 224, and 227 yards of total offense. And Syracuse hasn't hasn't really had, you know, like a lot of – actually, I was looking at their other – they've had some games like that, but against kind of bad teams. But there's been no game where they held some team to like 150 yards, some bad team to like 150 yards. And so when I look at it, I think it's that level of consistency that I really like from this team. If you look at Syracuse's defense, they gave up 485 yards to Purdue and 450 to Clemson. A lot of those yards for Purdue came in the fourth quarter. Second half, but especially the fourth quarter. Clemson had a lot of plays late. So they're vulnerable, but I think they have a level of consistency that I really like. And I think that's the thing that really works for this football team right now. So that's what you look at Look at um, when – hold on a second. We've got to make this little note here real quick. But that's what I kind of like about this football team is I, I like that level of consistency that they bring to the table. So that's kind of a first-glance look at Syracuse. That gives you a a simple taste of kind of what their schedule is and then what they kind of do statistically. And then next, what we're going to do next is we're going to kind of take a look and talk a little bit about the Syracuse offense and a little bit about the Syracuse defense. And we'll jump into some specifics of what you can expect to see from this football team. We're going to start with the defense, and and Ryan will be back here in a minute, but you know this is this is the re- we're going to start with the defenses because we're going to start with the side of the ball that I believe and that Ryan believes, I'm sure, are, is the best part of this football team. This is the side of the ball that to me has them successful, and that is the Syracuse defense. So just base structure, they list themselves as a three three five defense. They are in no way similar to what you would think of a three, three, five. And we talked about this the other day. We'll refer to it again today. It is very rare against that. I have seen them this season against any quality opponent where they only have three guys on the line of scrimmage. So what they'll do is they'll take either their Rover occasionally, but more often than not one of two linebackers. And it's not always the same guy. Sometimes it's Marlo wax. It'll do that. Other times it's Derek McDonald. That'll do that. But one of their linebackers will come up off the edge and kind of give them a four down look they don't also don't often do it out of so some teams that are three three fives around will still stick with their odd front and then just walk a guy down. They don't play a lot of pure odd front on defense. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of it is because it's good coaching. They're small and yeah. they're not a really very they're not a very big football team. So uh, that's part of it as well. I mean, their nose tackle is five eleven and two hundred and sixty six pounds. One of their starting defensive ends, I, I think he's bigger than this. But he's listed, Steve Linton, at 6'5", 219 pounds. Now, I think he's bigger than the 219 he's listed at, but it isn't by a whole lot. 
And then their other defensive end uh, on their depth chart, starting defensive end, Caleb Ochekukwu, Ochekukwu, excuse me, is 6'4", 268. He's their big guy. Their backup nose guard, Elijah Fuentes Cundiff, is 6'4", 267. The backup to Steve Linton, J- J- uh, Jadius Greer, is 6'6", 233. And their backup defensive end to uh, Okachukwu is 6'4", 247. They're not big. Their linebackers no. are 225, 224, and 239. So they're not a real big team, but you know what they do? They coach to that. They are mm-hmm. not going to fire off and just stay vertical. They run a ton of line games. They're going to twist and stunt and fire and just move all over. They don't. They they are they are more to me more of a four down. They're three down personnel that plays a lot of four down looks. That's yep. what I think of when I. They're a four down alignment out of three down personnel. That's what I mm-hmm. think from a great structure standpoint that this Syracuse team is. They know they're small. They also know they're quick. And they coach to that, and I think I think they do as as good of a job as any team in the country, in my opinion, at coaching to their personnel. Ryan, that's something I really like about the Syracuse defense. If if I didn't see the depth chart before I started watching film on Syracuse, I would have thought they were just a four two five. That's what I would have thought, right? Like that's that's stylistically what they are. You know, they have the two really nice inside linebackers. They have an outside well. They use two different linebackers to your point of playing on the ball a little bit, right? So they kind of rotate that a little bit. But regardless, I mean, they're always in two linebacker sets for the most part. They'll have the rover in the game at times. But, I mean, they are a four down. They're giving you four defensive linemen. And, I mean, it works, though. It really works because what they have, Brian, I mean, to your point is they're quick. They know it. But also they have linebackers on the second level, either Garrett McDonald or Marlo Wax that kind of had those tweener traits, you know, like they're both kind of guys that are physical edge setters and kind of twitchy dudes could do some stuff off the ball, but can also pass rush at points too. And can kind of do those things that can shoot gaps. And so they have a very versatile front seven of their defense. Like they know that they have, I guess I should call it front six of their defense because they're playing with a Rover, but they have on the first and second level guys that are movement based players, which Shouldn't look odd to Notre Dame fans. I mean, Notre Dame has Howard Cross that is six foot, 270 pounds. So that's their version of Howard Cross, right? They understand that they are undersized. They understand that they are quick. They understand that they are versatile. Those are the things that really work well. I mean, Steve Linton's a guy that is a pass rusher first and foremost, but like, I saw him get dropped into space a little bit, right? Like they understand that they need to win off of versatility and making teams uncomfortable with movement and they do that really well and I think the key is the linebacker room I think the linebacker room in their front in their front six front seven however you want to qualify it they give them a lot of versatile ability to play a couple different fronts and give them multiple looks and give them multiple movement guys like Marlo Wax they're the keys to this defense in my opinion of how they want to play up front and that's what they that's what they make their living off of man that's what their hats on they are a versatile front That is going to give guys multiple looks. But to your point, Brian, you're talking about a four-man front more often than not. It's just who is going to be the fourth man down. That's that's something that you're not always sure about. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're going to show some clips here from Purdue and, and Clemson. Just to kind of give you a sense, the reason I, I picked these two teams, because I think formationally they're a lot more similar at times to Notre Dame. Uh, Purdue will do some things that Notre Dame doesn't do, but they also do a lot of 12 personnel. Well, not a lot, but they'll do 12 personnel. They'll do a lot of 11. And so I wanted to show – so I just wanted to kind of show some base looks. Now, look, Syracuse is going to line up in a lot of different ways at times, but there is sort of a base structure out of which they they kind of align, and you see that right here. So you can see their three down front. It's clearly not an odd look in this in this certain circumstance. On this particular play, it's Devin McDonald, I believe, that's that's down in the you see a linebacker list. And the, the funny thing is they'll put him, they'll put him to the strong side, Ryan, but they don't often they'll sometimes put him to the strong side, and then the tackle is inside of the guard. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that that's interesting. But then they slant to it. They they move to the strength at times, or they'll bring a linebacker down, or they'll fit with a safety in that instance. But you see the two inside linebackers, Michael Jones is, is to the strong side. Marlo Wax is to the, the weak side in this alignment, weak side being away from the tight end. You see the rover out in space, two corners. They have a field safety and a boundary safety. That's what those two, those two words mean. So that's a look against it. This is an 11 personnel two-by-two two alignment. So you see, a, you see a receiver down here. Two receivers up here, and then the tight end, Payne Dur- the Durham kid is right here, and then, of course, a running back. Then you also are going to see them. This is against Clemson. This is out of a three-by-one set. Uh, so actually missed a guy there, Ryan. There should be uh, – that's actually the rover. That's the mm-hmm. linebacker, linebacker, linebacker here. So I missed that guy when I was putting this uh, graph together. So this is, again, it's the same look, very similar look, even against a three-by-one alignment out of uh, tw- 11 personnel. So two by two, three by one, 11 personnel, you see the same base look. They'll do a lot of cover two to the boundary and a lot of cover four to the field. Uh, they like to bracket the boundary guy, which is what will, will make a lot of conversation, um, um, you know, kind of about how you can utilize that this week. Here's another look here. This is out of 12 personnel against Clemson. Uh Similar alignment. Now, Clemson, did you see the times when Purdue – I said Clemson, I meant Purdue. Did you see the couple times Purdue went 12 personnel sort of with like a sixth offensive lineman? It was mm-hmm. very strange. Yeah. I didn't I didn't love that. Uh, but this is a 12 personnel out of true 12 personnel. 
And you can see the alignment doesn't change, right? Still four two five, you know, the four two five look out of three three five personnel. Mike linebacker. Now this is one that Ryan was talking about. This is actually now Marlo Wax right here, who's normally uh, off the ball in the previous two looks. So in the previous two looks, this is Marlo Wax. I think Marlo Wax is right there, Ryan. I believe. Yep. And then yep. in this particular play, he is right here. Okay. In this third look. He is now down on the line, and Derek McDonald is off the ball. And Michael Jones is now the mic. So they'll they'll do some different things there to Ryan's point. Here, the linebacker is on the weak side of the alignment, you know, technically, because it's an off, it's an off, you know, it's technically sort of an H-back look. Uh, they're not calling strength to the boundary or strength to the tight end that's attached. They're going, they're treating treating strength to the three by one in this particular alignment. And that will kind of determine it. Now, on the back end, there's their safeties will do a lot of different things. Uh, they'll line up. Sometimes they'll have a cornerback here, and then the safety will be here. So they'll do some different things. But structurally, Ryan, this is what you're going to see from Syracuse. It's 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 not super super complicated. They'll throw some yep. different stuff at you. They'll do some different alignments. They'll you know they'll bring safeties down to fit off the linebackers, things like that. They don't they don't do a ton from a structural standpoint that's really different. What they do is they do a lot of post-snap movement. Now, mm -hmm. it's not a lot of variety of post-snap movement. They don't run like 35 different stunts every game. It's a lot of ET twists, TE twists. It's a lot of slants with linebackers crashing. It's just they know we're, we're small, but we're quick. Like their little nose yep. guard, I was kind of joking with you before. I was like, you know, this kid is just killing Purdue. I mean, just beating mm -hmm. Purdue center leverage-wise the whole game. I mean, it's going to be a battle for Zeke Carell. He's going to have to play really well this game. The kid's not real talented. He's just short, quick, and he knows how to use his lack of height to his advantage. And that's the thing is they are going to try to beat you off the ball all game long. And they coach to that. And so um, – and they and there's the thing. They trust their secondary immensely. They yep. put their corners on a lot of islands. They'll put their safeties on a lot of islands. There's there there. I would say their base coverage is, is 24, Ryan, two to the boundary, four to the fields, their base coverage, but they'll play cover one, they'll play some cover three, they'll play some like robber type stuff, they'll mix it up a little bit. But I think that's kind of their base structure. And they're gonna ask their corners to play a lot of man coverage, and they're gonna put their slot safety, you know. So if we go back to this look right here, for example. There are a lot of ways as an offense you can you can get this guy matched up against this guy one on one, a lot of ways. But you know why they'll do that? Because this guy, these two safeties, especially especially him, where am I at? Especially him, pretty good cover players. And so yep. you know we we've talked about how Stanford's safeties were really good run defenders. I think the Syracuse safeties are solid run defenders, but they're they're pretty good in coverage. And they so are. I think that's what makes them effective is they they trust their secondary to line up with you and, and play man. Now, in the fourth quarter, Garrett Williams got smoked twice by Charlie Jones. So I think mm -hmm. that obviously played a big role in that, too. I believe it was Charlie Jones, right? Isn't he 15? Isn't Charlie yes. Jones 15 for Purdue? Yes. Yeah. He beat him twice. Beat him on a post route for a big play and then beat him for a long touchdown up on a go route. But, you know, for first three quarters, he was locking those guys down. So, you know, Purdue yep. – Purdue passed for a lot of yards against Syracuse, 424. But I would argue over 100 of those, well over 100 of those yards came on two plays in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. So they can be beat. 
but Notre Dame hasn't had receivers show that they can play like Charlie Jones so far this season, right? And that's going to be an interesting thing. But there's there are a couple matchups that could be very interesting. But I love that they trust their secondary. If you're Notre Dame, you got to find a way to take advantage of that. But that's also what makes them difficult to, to defend because they can put more resources into the box if they need to, Ryan, because yes. they do trust their secondary. And that's where they can – that's one of the things that helps them be the movement – and the fact that they can insert numbers are the two things that I think have made their run defense pretty good this year. Now, it's been pretty good against teams that aren't really good at running the football. We saw what Clemson mm-hmm. was able to do to them last week, who's a, not even a great running team, but a better running team. So they're vulnerable there, but they have yeah. ways built into what they do to protect themselves a little bit if they need to. Well, and you have four quality players in the secondary. I mean, first and foremost, right? Like you mentioned Garrett Williams. Garrett Williams is going to be a draft pick next year. Talk about Deuce Chestnut, who's only a sophomore at the other corner. He's a good football player, man. He's a New Jersey kid originally. Elijah Clark is a transfer from Rutgers, who's a good quality football player. And then Jihad Carter, the free safety that you highlighted there. Kid's got a little bit of range on the back end, which is pretty pretty nice to kind of watch, right? So you have four quality members of that secondary and I think the best part of it, Brian, is I think that actually, as a whole, they play better than maybe what they even are individually. You know, like I think that Garrett Williams is a really good player when he's on and healthy. But as a whole, the secondary just really trusts each other, I think. You know, like they look like they really kind of play off of each other well, which is why they're able to do so much up front, to your point, right? Because the one thing they've adopted this new style of like, hey, we're not going to get beat deep. We're not going to let up explosives. We're not. We're going to let. We're going to let you kind of pick the. You know, we're going to give you the flats occasionally because they are a heavy two four cover. You know, two two um two man type of team. Like that's what this team wants to do. And in that situation, you're going to give up some of the flat stuff. But the one thing that I love about Garrett Williams, especially and Chestnut, does this well is that they'll come up and they'll tackle man and they'll rally to the football. They'll give up some yardage, but they're not going to give up the explosive. So this is a game where Notre Dame has to force them, secondary-wise, to be uncomfortable. Because you, like you said, there is matchups that Notre Dame can create, and there's not going to be a lot of opportunities, I think, to create explosive plays in a vacuum. But what Notre Dame has to do in this game is to take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves and then force this, this secondary to be uncomfortable. If you just let Garrett Williams sit back there and cover two or cover four all day, it man like you know, no one's gonna get on top of him and he's just gonna protect himself you know and he's a good football player but making him uncomfortable making the safeties uncomfortable getting them into positions that they don't want to be in that's the key for Tommy Reese in this offense this week is you have to scheme some stuff up where you make the secondary members uncomfortable because if they're just sitting back and they're two four two man whatever they want to play cover three they're just going to be sitting back there and just waiting for an offense to make a mistake. You have to be advantageous against the secondary, which is what makes them so good, in my opinion. Let's go to the other side of the ball, Ryan. Talk a little bit about the Syracuse offense. Mm-hmm. Big offensive line. That's the first thing that stands out is a big offensive line. Their center, not a real big kid. He's at, sitting there at 6'4", 292 pounds. That's Carlos Vettorello. Left to right, left tackle to right tackle. Everybody else, Matt Bergeron is 6'5", 322. Kalen Ellis is 6'6", 375. Chris Bleich is 6'6", 326. And Dakota Davis is 6'5", 335. They are big. They are a big defensive line. Now, the thing about it is is they're not a super mobile offense. I said defensive line. I meant offensive line. They're not a big – they're very big, 
They have some power, uh, not kind of what you would see from like a Bama line, you know, that's got that same kind of size or a Georgia line, but they've got some power and they know how to throw their weight around. But they're, the thing that's hurt them at times this year, Ryan, is they're not super mobile, especially at the guard spots, in my opinion. Like they're big and physical, yeah. but they're not super mobile. And they have had some issues kind of, I think at times, teams that play that attack them, either shooting gaps or blitzing linebackers, teams that have some quickness can give them some problems. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something that, that to me has – I wouldn't say it hasn't killed their run game because their run game is good. But let's be honest. I think you and I – well, I don't have to be honest because we can agree to disagree on it. But to me, their run game hasn't been nearly as effective this year as it was last year. I mean, last year they averaged 213.5 yards per game and 5.2 yards per carry. This year, they're averaging 179.3 yards per game and only 4.8 yards per carry. And so Mm -hmm. I, you know, and and again, part of that is benefited from the fact that they averaged 9.95 yards per carry and 388 yards against Wagner. And their other six games, they went for 208 and for 5.2 a carry against Louisville. They only went for 156 and 3.1 per carry against UConn. They went for 125 yards and 3.6 per carry against Purdue. It went for 75 yards and only 2.1.97 to be specific against Virginia. Good game against NC State, uh, 179 on uh, for 5.5.97, so six point yards per carry. But then they only went for 124 for 4.3 4.4 yards per carry against Clemson. Now, I, you know, Marcus Freeman brought this up yesterday. I gotta know why. I gotta know why Sean Tucker didn't play on Saturday, and I don't think they've said anything about it yet. My guess would be he got banged up. There's no way they went into that game and said, hey, we're only going to give Sean Tucker five carries, especially since he averaged over 10 yards a carry in that game. So, you know, he had a he had a 23-yard run early in the game, and after that, he didn't touch the ball. Garrett Schrader was their entire running game the rest of the way. Now, I don't know if that was protecting Tucker, if it was bad play calling, if it was bad decision-making by Tucker. I don't know why. But that was a one of the head-scratching moves from this game, in my opinion. But it just kind of speaks to the fact that they have not really been a great rushing team like they were last year, Ryan. You take away the Wagner game, and honestly, they've been pretty mediocre. You know, they had a 38-yard run against against NC State, and yet a, a, I think Tucker had like two really nice runs. And outside of that, they were just kind of good running the ball against NC State. Whereas last mm-hmm. year, I mean, you look at some of their games last year, Ryan – they went 283 against Ohio, 286 against Albany, 228 against uh, Liberty, 239 against Florida State, 354 against Wake Forest, 165 for five and a half against Clemson, 314 against Virginia Tech, and 293 against Boston College. That's not this team. Now, the no. counter, they've been way better throwing the ball this year. Now, they're not an elite throwing team. They're not like they were with Eric Dungy. I mean, you know, talk about winning different in 2018. Syracuse rushed for let's let's do the numbers. Syracuse rushed for 200 yards that that year. Big part of that was was Eric Dungy, as we talked about. He had 15 rushing touchdowns that year. They were a team that threw for 264 yards that year, and they were throwing for even more prior to Dungy getting hurt. So against Notre Dame, I mean, he had part of that was he had 10 passing yards against Notre Dame, you know. And then there was a couple other blowout games where he got knocked out, and Tommy DeVito came in, and they didn't throw for as much. But they were a really Good throwing team that year, really balanced, get the ball outside, kind of an air raid type of team. That's his background. You know, he came up in the Art Bryles 
tree, you know, coach at Eastern Illinois. They were throwing it with Jimmy Garoppolo, Bowling Green, same kind of deal. They're a different team now. A lot, you know, it, even the quarterback runs aren't as used as dominantly this year, but they're a much more efficient passing team this year. But I think Clemson showed something. If you can force them to pass, force them to pass, where they're passing because they have to, not because they want to, they're much easier to defend. And that's what happened in the second half of last week's game, in my opinion. They forced Garrett Schrader to beat them with his arm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Brian, even structurally, they're different running the football than they were last year. Like last year, if you watch Syracuse, they were a lot of outside and inside zone. Like they ran a lot of outside zone last year, and then they were running the zone ring game off of off of the inside work with Garrett Schrader a ton. This team is much more inside dictated type of run team because I think that they've had to adjust to the fact, to, to your point, a couple of their new starters, mainly inside, are not the fleetest of foot athletically, right? Like I think I would say – just based upon everything I've seen from the offense line, and I've watched a few of their games already this year, I, I think outside of Matt Bergeron, I, I don't think there's an offensive lineman that I would say is a plus athlete on the offensive line. Like Matthew Bergeron is the athlete on the offensive line, which is why he plays left tackle, right? But, I mean, the Ellis kid that stands next to him, I mean, he's 375 pounds, and he's a legit 375 pounds, you know? Like he's not moving laterally or to the second level at time like that kid is wants to work at the point of attack that's where his bread is buttered and I think that all across the offensive line they've had structurally a different approach this year out of necessity like I don't think it was structural because they felt like hey we could be a better inside running team this year than we were last year and that's how we're going to kind of work the emphasis of our offense they they had to kind of make this switch because they don't have a lot of great great athletes up at the offensive line level. So you have seen a step back in that regard. But, but I mean, on a game-to-game basis, Brian, like this is a team where if you have a Sean Tucker that is healthy, you have a Garrett Schrader that is humming in all cylinders, this team can still hurt you. Like they can still, they can still hurt you in the run game. There's no doubt about it. But to your point, I agree with it 100%. They are not nearly as – I think last year especially, they created a lot more big plays than what they're creating this year. Like, there was a lot of ex- – I mean, I feel like every week, Sean Tucker was breaking off a 70-yarder. Like, that's just what it felt like last year, you know? This year, it hasn't quite been the same deal. Still a good running team, but not nearly as lethal as last year. I think that Notre Dame has a chance to have a interesting matchup because I think they are a lot quicker up front. They have a lot more athleticism than what Syracuse's offensive line is going to bring, and it's going to be interesting because if you can stop that run game – and make this a one-dimensional football team. I mean, yeah, Garrett Schrader has taken a step forward as a passer, but at the end of the day, I'd rather force Syracuse to pass than just let them have their way running the football. Like that's where right. our that's where the emphasis needs to be for Notre Dame. So we'll see. But it is definitely a different Syracuse team than what we saw in 2021. There's no doubt about that. It's a it's a Syracuse team that you want to force them to pass and can and contain the quarterback run. Keep Garrett Schrader in the pocket. He, I don't think, is capable of beating you if he can only play from the pocket. I don't. We saw him have some nice balls in the first half against Clemson. He played with a pretty clean pocket. But even then, I mean, a lot of their a lot of their points I felt in that game were were built around, you know, short fields and mistakes by by Clemson. I mean, look, Clemson tried it. I felt like man, it's like is Clemson trying to give him this game? Like I felt like Clemson was doing everything they could to get to let Syracuse win that game, and Syracuse wasn't obliging. In that contest, Ryan. But I mean, you look yeah. at you look at Syracuse. You know, Syracuse. They had a, a couple good, you know, lengthy drives in the first half. Uh, but one of their touch, they had a one of their scores was on a ninety-yard fumble return for a touchdown. Right. They had two good drives in that game. But other than that, I mean, they they didn't really 
they didn't really take advantage, in my opinion, of good field position. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, it, it was like, at least last week, Notre Dame was getting, you know, points, you know, in those drives, they were at least, you know, they, they were getting points. I mean, you know, you look at the second half and, you know, Clemson fumbles the ball and, and Syracuse recovers it. Uh, you know, Syracuse starts their drive at, 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 you know, their own 20 yard line after a Clemson fumble, uh, Clemson throws a pick and Syracuse starts at midfield. They go three and out. You know, it's just like you had some missed opportunities in that game where you really could have done some stuff with the ball and you just weren't able to take advantage of it. And so those are the things that you, you look at and say, boy, those are some big missed opportunities that you had to to, to move the ball and, and get some points. And they couldn't grind out the tough yards against Clemson either. You know, turned it over right. on downs on their first drive of the game. Now, again, that was against a really good Clemson front seven. Yes. Will Notre Dame's front seven be able to play that ability? That's the question. But I find it interesting that a run game that's just built on sticking between the tackles isn't as good as it should be. I mean, it sounds like we've kind of talked about that with Notre Dame, right? Where if you don't, if you lack diversity in the run game, it's going to be harder to create space and to create those big plays. And Clemson, Syracuse can grind out yards. They're just not ripping off the big runs that they used to. I mean, Notre Dame fans have seen Sean Tucker. He ripped off an 80 yard yeah. touchdown run against Notre Dame in 2020. Okay. I remember him. I remember yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Chris Tyree countered back with a 94-yard touchdown in that game. Sure. Uh, and Clemson has <laughs> con- continued to give him the ball more and, and use him in better ways where Notre Dame has not. But Sean Tucker still having a very good season. It's just not it's, – it's just a different kind of season than it was yeah. last year, Ryan. So yeah. uh, it, it makes it interesting. On the outside, good good weapons on the outside. They have Aronde Gadsden, uh, the second. Is, he doesn't go by Aronde Gadsden Jr. He goes by Aronde Gadsden the second. They listed him as a tight end on the depth chart. And he's listed as a receiver on the r- roster, and they use him like a slot receiver, but I don't know why they list him as a tight end. He's not lining up and block, you know, kicking out nine techniques, right? I mean, that's just not he's what he two, He's 216 pounds. He's not yeah, – Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, but they have some good players. They have two big kids, Gadsden 6'5", 216, Damian Alford 6'11", or 6'6", 6'11", 6'6", 211. Uh, you know, so they, they have some weapons there, Ryan, uh, at receiver. And then they have some shorter guys that, that are, you know, good players and can can move around. But Gadsden's by far their top weapon. He has 37 catches. Oh, yeah. The next closest guy in catches is Sean Tucker at 28. He has 593 mm-hmm. yards. The next closest guy is Devon Cooper at 234. You know, Damian Alford, who, who's 6'6", 11, he has six catches on the year. Right? Mm-hmm. Courtney Jackson's their other starting receiver. He has 12 catches for 168 yards. Then Devon Cooper is their other listed wide receivers, 18 catches for 234 yards. The the bulk of their touches go to their running back and their tight their, their quote unquote tight end, I should say. You know, I, I say that jokingly to Aranda Gasson, who I, I think I receiver, think they're just trying to right? I think they're just trying to get him some all American love, Brian. Let's listen as a I tight guess. end so the numbers can you know yeah. dictate that. I guess if they're gonna do that, fine. You might want to consider, I don't know, putting him as a tight end on your roster also. But yeah. here's the point. <laughs> Here's the point, Ryan. They have a combined 65 catches on the season, Aronde Gadsden and and uh, Sean Tucker running back. That is 51.2% of the team's total catches on the season. Those two players uh, yeah. have that. Now, and, and it's the same story if you look at the yards. Those two players combined have 811 yards, which is a little under 50% of the team's total yards. So it's 49.7% of the team's total yards. So those two players account for half of their catches and half of their yards. 
And so it's one of those things where if you're Notre Dame and you don't have a game plan that says, hey, we're going to not let Aronde Gadsden beat us, then, you know, I'm not really sure what you're what you're doing there. Now, saying that and then achieving that are two different things because I thought, you know, Clemson tried to do that a little bit and he went six for 86, right? I mean, he's yep. made plays every game. But you now have a much, you know, bigger book on him now than you did before. The kid only caught two passes last year. So he kind of came into this year as a bit of an anomaly. You didn't really know what to expect. And – you know, he's still rolling seven games in, but Notre Dame's going to have to have a way to try to slow him down. That's just going to have to be the key in this game. And that's what I'm most looking forward to, Brian. If there was like a player versus player matchup or player formula for success that I would like to see, I am curious on what they do against Gatson. Because like you said, I mean, he spends a lot of time in the slot, right? It's a bigger slot. He's 6'5", 216 pounds. I mean, you're not just going to throw Tariq Bracey on him at 5'10", 185 pounds, right? Like, that's not going to be the recipe for success. So, is your answer a big nickel? Is your answer more Jack Kaiser if he is a- available and healthy? I know he's, you know, dealing with a little bit of a thigh bruise or whatever it is. So, what's the formula for defending an Aronde Gasson? That I don't know the answer to that. That's just something that I will be keeping my eyes close on on Saturday to say, like, how – what's their plan? It's like a – it's – any team that plays Notre Dame right now, they have a Michael Mayer plan, right? Like that's the plan. That's how you stop Michael Mayer. What's the Yaronde Gadsden plan? Like that's there's got to be a plan in the passing game to how you counteract this type of size because it's 6'5", 216. He's a matchup against almost every defensive back that you'll find across the country. Like just from a size perspective, from a length perspective, from a reach perspective, like all those things he has an advantage at, right? And then the question is, after that is Sean Tucker in the passing game scares me. I'll be very honest with you. He scares me a little bit, man, because they, they, they'll check it down a little bit. They'll throw some screens. They'll motion him and just throw him a little bit and some swing routes in, out in space. Your second level, your defense needs to be good. They need to come up and they need yeah. to play well from the rover to the linebackers in pursuits. Yeah. So those those te- I'm interested to see, though, especially His how 28 they- catches, Ryan, are not just 28 checkdowns. No, you know, it, it's not that no. they're they're use him in the pass game. He is a weapon in the pass game. He's not just catching a bunch of, you know, swings and checkdowns when nobody else is open. They will they will design. They use him in, in some different ways. They'll try to scheme him up to get him free. To your point. So somebody said, Ronald, talk, how are you guys talking about Syracuse offense? Notre Dame isn't any better. We're no juggernaut. Dude, it's a show previewing Syracuse. It's nothing to do with Notre Dame's offense. OK, I've been saying that all year. Calm down. No, no, okay. Notre, Notre Dame is also not a juggernaut, Ronald. Is that what you want to hear? <laughs> they never claim they are. I mean, what are you talking about, man? Like, calm down. Calm down, right? This is a preview of Syracuse. Just like we do every single week, we look at their offense and just break it down for you so you can be educated on what Notre Dame is going to face on Saturday. Uh, but anyway, Ryan, I think the thing I like about this is that they're an efficient offense. But here's the interesting nugget. Marcus Freeman has seen this offense before. They mm-hmm. saw this last year against Virginia. Robert and I's offense. He's seen the run structure. He has seen them use big, tall weapons from the slot a lot. And I thought Notre Dame had a really good game plan against them last year. Now, it helped that Brendan Armstrong didn't play. But even mm-hmm. then, I thought Notre Dame in that game had a very good game plan to limit. Now, Virginia had a couple big plays here and there. But overall, I thought they did a really good job schematically of of not like some teams I thought panicked trying to defend the big guys and, you know, wicks on the outside. And I thought Notre Dame had a really nice plan. They didn't panic. They didn't overdo it. 
They mixed up their coverages, and I thought they did a pretty good job of covering guys up. Even because you can look and say, well, even if Brandon Armstrong was quarterback, there still wasn't anybody open a lot. You know, it, it would have impacted it, but not impacted it where they would have gone from three to thirty in that particular game. And a big part of it was they shut down the Virginia run game and they pressured the quarterback. And that's going to be a key in this one as well, which we'll get into later in the week. So going to be a very interesting matchup. Huge opportunity for Notre Dame in this in this game. A win and Notre Dame all of a sudden starts talking about like, okay, big, big one behind us, gain some confidence, and then you go back home and hopefully you can kind of build on that as you move forward. So uh, big, big opportunity, 16th rate, ranked Syracuse, 6-1 and one coming in to this game. And it's Notre Dame's first game at the Carrier Dome since, I think, 2004, right? Wow. I think it was Justin Tuck's last game at Notre Dame, I believe, was in the Carrier Dome. But they finished one of Ty Willingham's seasons at the Carrier Dome. And I believe, I believe it was 2004, but it could have been 2003. Now that I think about it, you know how, the, you know how I am, Ryan. When I when I kind of think about something, like, okay, now I gotta look it up. Now I gotta remember which season it was. It was no, it was two thousand and three. It looks like so. It's two thousand and three. Their last game of the year was at Syracuse, a thirty eight twelve loss. It's not Justin Tuck's last game, so he came back that next season. But that was the capper of a five and seven season. And then of course, this is the we have a serious history article on the front page of the site. And let me look up the the. Notre Dame has this is the 11th meeting. Notre Dame has a seven to three advantage. Syracuse, they beat Syracuse in 1914 and 1961, a game that the great Ernie Davis was the starting running back for Syracuse. Mm -hmm. Syracuse then beat Notre Dame in 1963. They didn't play again for 40 years. And then they played in 2003, a game that Syracuse won to make it two to two. Then Notre Dame beat them on the last home game of the 20, 2005 season with Brady Quinn. In 05, Syracuse beat Notre Dame again in 08, 24-23. If you remember that game, that was the game where fans were throwing snowballs at the Notre Dame players. That was Manti Taylor's official visit. Brutal, brutally bad loss. Uh, Greg Robinson was the coach. He'd already been fired, and they still lost that game. And then they've played they've played them four times in the last decade. They beat them in 2014. That was the game where Everett Golson set a Notre Dame record for consecutive completed passes. He put, an R, he put on an RPO clinic in that game against Syracuse that year should have been a much bigger blowout, but had some bad turnovers One fifty to 33 in 2016. That game was 33 to 27 at halftime. Do you remember that game? That's it was like, it, it, I think it was like 16 to 13 and there was still like 10 minutes left in the first quarter because Notre Dame scored uh, a touchdown. Syracuse went down, scored a touchdown. Notre Dame blocked the PAT cool Luke, ran it back. And I'm only remembering this because I had I was watching a little bit of it last night. I vaguely remember it, but not to the degree that I'm recalling it now. And then Notre Dame uh, went scored again to make it 16 to 13 or 16 to six. Syracuse went down to score to make it 16 to 13. And then CJ Sanders, I do remember this, returned the next kickoff back for a touchdown. It was 23 to 13, and there were still 10 minutes left in the first quarter. It was an insane game. It was it was the first game after the Van Gorder era. They had just fired Van Gorder the week before. Uh, promoted Greg Hudson, the defensive coordinator, even though Mike Elson was actually the one calling plays. Deshaun Kaiser, I think, first play of the game, hit Equinemi St. Brown over the middle, and he ran for a long touchdown. Very, very entertaining game. Notre Dame dominated the game in 2018 at Yankee Stadium, and then, of course, in 2020, Notre Dame in a very sloppy game beat Syracuse 45-21, in a, also which was the last game of the home season for Notre Dame that season. So first trip to the Carrier Dome since 2003. 
for Notre Dame against Syracuse. So that's going to do it for this portion of the show. We're going to have a mailbag coming up next. We've already got a dozen questions already, questions and comments already uh, start. If you have some more questions, we're going to work through the, the, the list of comments and questions now. But if you have some stuff that you want us to talk about, please feel free to reach out and uh, put your questions in there. Now, if you left a question really early, when if you want, if you definitely want us to talk about it, wouldn't hurt to put it in now and then we'll get to it again. So we'll get to that next. But before we hit to the mailbag, get to the mailbag, make sure you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell and share this podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.